Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing Podcast. Hi there, ladies and gents, and welcome to this episode of the Sophisticated Property Investment Podcast with me, your host, Frank Flegg. In this episode, I'm going to be sharing with you all of my tips for working with a solicitor effectively on sophisticated deals, finding a solicitor that can do sophisticated deals, and the pitfalls that you can encounter when working with solicitors basically because it is such a hard thing and what I've realized is novice investors there are a few assumptions that I've noticed investors make that really curtails their ability to work effectively with solicitors so the first assumption is from novice investors that solicitors are the experts and that's quite a reasonable assumption to make because they do this as a full-time job. They've been to university to learn how to be a, a solicitor, although they might be a conveyancer, which I'm not sure means you have to be to university. You might have to be. I'm not trying to knock any <laughs> conveyances out there. I think you can be a licensed conveyancer without going to university. I'm not sure about that. But the assumption that they are better at property than you is simply not true because they are experts at doing the same things over and over again. So they're experts at checking title. They're experts at interpreting searches, etc., etc. And I use the term expert loosely because in my experience, some conveyances have so high a workload. So they have so many cases that interpreting complex titles and interpreting searches, they just don't have enough time. You know, their their KPIs are so high, they can only catch big stuff. And if, if anything gets really complicated, then it's, it's too hard. I had a transaction recently where a property was on four titles. Unbelievable. It was only an 11 year old property. So how the developer had made such a pig's ear of the dividing up the plots beggars belief i was asking questions of the conveyancer they got to the point where they said it, it wasn't a normal conveyancer on my power team it was a a, a local one for for numerous reasons conveyancer got to the point where they said um this is beyond our expertise we need to to get council's opinion <laughs> which i've never heard of in my life on a conveyance but but it shows how small their comfort zone is. So that's the first assumption. The first assumption is generally from unsophisticated or relatively new investors that they are experts at sophisticated property investing and and they're not. The second assumption is almost the exact opposite. So once clients of mine get to the stage where they understand sophisticated property investing and they are doing sophisticated deals and they understand what they're doing and they have built their knowledge base and their experience base up. As they're going through that process and they get more and more experienced, the assumption that's often made is that they are on the same level as the solicitors. So the conveyancers understand that level of sophisticated transaction, that level of complexity and in the vast, vast majority of cases, they don't. It's very unusual, very, very unusual. I can name three solicitors who understand what I do on all of my transactions. They are all in the same firm. <laughs> and the problem is 
the solicitors themselves don't even realise. And I've got a couple of examples for you. So just yesterday, I had a solicitor. Now, we do this quite a lot in, um, in sophisticated transactions. We call it turning discounts into cash flow. And I've talked about it on the Sophisticated Property Investment Podcast before, which is where you have an investor or a purchaser buy the property at full market value. And then the vendor receives significantly less than the investor has purchased. And the difference comes to us. So if we've sourced the property at £80,000 purchase price and the vendor's happy with that, the vendor knows the property's worth one hundred and twenty, but is happy to sell it at eighty. We secure it at eighty with an option agreement. Then we source an investor to buy it at one hundred and twenty because it's a quality property. It's tenanted. We're going to manage it ongoing through our letting agents, for example. That's what we call a turning discounts into cash flow transaction because we've we've got a discount on the property, forty thousand pounds. We're going to turn that into cash flow because we're going to earn forty k off it. Now we will actually probably pay both sets of solicitors, so there's a few costs to come out of that, but but largely we'll we'll you know probably probably make uh, thirty seven thirty eight thousand pounds out of that transaction. I had a solicitor yesterday actually new solicitor recommended to us now the problem was it wasn't intended on on being turning discounts into cash flow transaction so i wasn't expecting to take money out of the transaction and then as as sometimes happens the transaction changed purchaser changed the purchasing price changed as well so i phoned up the solicitor first transaction i've ever worked with a solicitor on she'd come highly recommended different part of the country so I couldn't go and sit down with her without you know a long round trip and just explained look this is the nature of the transaction I've got an option agreement on the property and so ordinarily you would discharge the mortgage and then pay the vendor the the balance of the funds well in this instance because I have the option £40,000 is due to me and I don't want you to pay pay that to the vendor. The vendor's going to give you what's called an irrevocable agreement. And what that means is once the vendor has made that instruction to the solicitor, they can't revoke it. So it's it's made and then they can't change their mind is the nature of an irrevocable or irrevocable agreement. And so I explained all this to the conveyancer and she said the fateful words, which kind of put the painting on the wall, which was her first reaction was, I'm just trying to remember how it's all happened in the last 48 hours. And her final response was yesterday. So her first reaction was, well, that's really unusual. We don't normally do that. And yeah, okay like it doesn't I didn't say this to her but that doesn't mean anything that just means you have a very limited sphere of experience um so yeah most of what I do with property is is unusual and outside the the realms of traditional conveyancing because that's how I add my value that's how I make money that's how I solve people's problems that don't know how to solve their problems where most purchasers can't solve their problems so I explained the nature of the option agreement etc she, she said could you send me the option I said yeah no problem at all so I sent her the option agreement and she said I need to speak to my line manager the a partner and that that was the first warning sign that she was a a junior conveyancer she was very responsive really on the ball but I think she was quite junior and I think that's part of the issue I hadn't selected her 
I had worked with her from the start, but the other side solicitor had said, this is a really good solicitor for the vendor. You can work with this solicitor. And, um, and I didn't think it was going to be that sophisticated a transaction. I didn't think it was going to be that, trans that, that complex. So I went with this solicitor because the two of them had said they could work well together, which is always a good thing if they've recommended each other. So I went with that benefit and I'm now regretting it. So I sent along the option agreement um, and to be fair to her, she came back to me the next working day, which is pretty quick. She's very responsive actually, but not sophisticated and therein lies the issue. She's come back with what I thought she would which is we're not a bank we're not the sra don't allow us to operate as a bank therefore we have to we can't pay the monies to different people if you had an and you don't have an equitable interest in the property now i knew this banking thing would raise its head because that's what solicitors are worried about but it's not the, the case so there's a few reasons it's not the case here. One, they do pay different people. So they can pay an estate agent out of the proceeds. An estate agent doesn't have an equitable interest in the property. They can pay the mortgage lender and it not be a banking function. And the truth of the matter is, I do have an equitable interest in the property because I have this option agreement that, that entitles me to anything above the £80,000 that the vendor receives. Well, there's £40,000 extra. And so it, it, it isn't right what she had said. And the other thing she said is there's no onward transaction because they often will take the money, not pay it to the vendor, but pay it to the, the vendor's purchasing solicitors on on the next transaction if it's in a chain and that isn't a banking function either and so what i said to the solicitor is well there is actually an onward transaction there is um so that forty thousand pounds is being used in another transaction and so um i'd like you to pay it there and i said i can also put a un1 which is a unilateral notice on the vendor's property or even an rx1 which is a restriction on the property if you need me to evidence that I have an equitable interest in the property. But the trouble is, I've kind of already lost the battle because she's gone to the partner once and the partner said no. So now she's going to go back to the partner and now I become a pain in the, the neck client. They don't want to say yes to me at all. They've already said no. And I'm, I'm kind of losing the battle. And so I've worked out how I can still do the transaction and, and still get paid. And this podcast, this episode isn't actually about how I'm doing that one transaction, but it is about the relationship with the solicitors so how can you avoid the mistake that I've just made and you know after 16 years and hundreds of transactions I am still making mistakes I'm still learning I'm still improving in my communication with and relationships with solicitors I'll highlight another interaction with a solicitor as a positive example two weeks ago something like that I was bouncing a transaction off my off a solicitor in my in my power team so someone i've worked with for about 10 years he's the owner of the firm i was asking him the best way of doing a transaction and he said i'd do it this way frank and it involved me putting in a lot of money into the transaction for only only one day basically putting it in and then getting it out the vendor was providing finance on it so there's no no mortgage lender involved but the vendor only wanted to provide finance for 12 months and so i wanted to buy it for as much as possible so i could get the refinance later on and establish the value of the property at its true value rather than buying it 
get a BMV price and sucking down the, the refinance valuation later. I basically needed to buy it at a high price and then have a company of mine invoice the, the, the vendor for the difference between what they were receiving and what I'd paid for the property. So he said, I think that would be the best way of doing it, Frank. And I said, yeah, I can see how that's the best way of doing it. The trouble is I'm doing a lot of transactions at the moment and funding though you know those kind of short term and, and i say a day it might end up being three days or five days or seven days and i'm doing a lot of transactions so i didn't really want to put the money into the transaction and he said if that's the case frank i can put the money in for you and i said really and he said yeah i can um i can give you a one day closed bridge and i was like wow and i, I used to use one day closed bridges quite a lot but after the industry changed there's a there's a there's a far fewer companies offering them and for him to offer it is unbelievable and I said I may well take you up on that and I said to know that is available is really handy how much notice do you need and he said a, a week would be really handy so that I can get the funds together uh, and I said what would you charge and he said a thousand quid and I just thought wow that is why I use you and that they're not a perfect firm they are very very good they're relatively expensive and because they're very good they are very busy their responses are nowhere near as good as the solicitor the conveyancer I was just speaking about who said they weren't willing to perform a banking function and you might go well, how's this solicitor going to lend me money surely that's a banking function well it probably isn't going to be his law firm that does the lending it's probably going to be an, a company of his or he might do it personally he's going to lend it to my company my spv so it's not a regulated activity it's not a consumer credit issue for him and the money will likely never hit my bank account it'll probably just go into his client account and back out of his client's account most likely and so there is the difference in there's a solicitor that understands the rules, gets the commercial nature of sophisticated property investing and is willing to help, obviously, whilst charging, you know, a thousand pound for lending some money for a day. That's, that's pretty expensive, but there's zero risk for him. And a solicitor who is basically saying computer says no and is not at all looking at this from a commercial perspective, not at all asking, how can we do this? That's what my the solicitors on my power team say the solicitors on my power team say how can we do this my solicitor yesterday is asking can we do this and that is the difference how can we do this gets you an answer that enables you to do it can we do this gets you a yes or a no i can remember years ago i had a solicitor i used her for loads i can i can remember her name now i don't think she's a solicitor anymore but i used her loads loads and loads thought she was very good she's very responsive always picked up the phone and i had a, a transaction where the vendor needed more money than i could give them at the start of the transaction and so i said to her is there any way and i had a really good relationship with her is there any way that i can buy this and give the vendor some money now and the rest later and we weren't talking about loads later we were talking about like five or ten percent later we nearly we could nearly do the deal but not quite i didn't quite have enough money to do it and she said no frank you have to have all the money now and i just took that as gospel and i believed that for about three more years it held me back on transactions and she's the professional and she's the one that's learned how to do this and got all the qualifications but she just 
didn't know what she didn't know. She was unconsciously incompetent. She didn't realise that there were loads of ways of doing it, but she just didn't know what they were. And so now I've done tens of transactions where I give the vendor some of the money up front and the rest later. It, it is the, the, the definition, control now, pay later. That, that That's really common. But she didn't know that and so she she wasn't trying to be awkward she was trying to be helpful but she didn't know that that was possible so she said no it's not possible and it's like the lawyer yesterday saying or the conveyancer yesterday saying oh I've never seen that before two days ago she said I haven't never seen that before and I thought ah so as a lawyer if you think you're the expert and you come across something you've never seen before you by their very nature they're going to be cautious about that I had a lawyer recently really proactive guy really like him who said he could do a transaction we got about six weeks into the transaction he put his prices up then we got another week into the because he said it was more work it wasn't more work it was exactly the same amount of work as the heads of terms laid out the heads of terms didn't change he just didn't know how to do the transaction he thought he did and as we were going through it i was asking him how he had covered off the various risks and he hadn't thought of the risks so as he started to try and answer my questions and cover off my concerns he realized that it was really much more complicated than he'd expected so he put his prices up which I did challenge him on because I didn't think it was fair, but I did agree to pay them. And then he got to the point where he actually said, I can't actually remember what he said. Basically, my deduction was he didn't want to do the transaction anymore because he couldn't. But he didn't want to own up to the fact that he couldn't. There are some reflections on solicitors. And what I promised you at the start of the episode was that I would tell you how to find a solicitor who does sophisticated who, who is open to sophisticated transactions so what i would do is i'd, I'd go and sit down with them i'd meet with them i say i haven't got a transaction yet but i do a lot of property investing and i'm i'm wanting to recruit a, a solicitor that will represent that i can re- recommend to vendors because you're going to want your sophisticated solicitor conveyancer to represent the vendors Um, You're going to need a good solicitor for you, but it's far more important to have a good solicitor to represent the vendor. And depending on how you're buying the properties, you you may not even have your own solicitor. I've I've recently uh, done quite a few transactions where I've represented myself. And and that just speaks volumes about how hard it is to do conveyancing. It, It really isn't. It's rather simple. Once you know how conveyancing works and once you understand the system, that can save you a thousand pound, fifteen hundred pounds on a transaction. And what you realize very quickly is actually you do most of the work anyway. Like the solicitors give you the forms, but you still fill them in and send them back to the solicitor. Often they just operate as a post box. They receive mail and forward it on and then they receive mail and forward it back to you. And so when you sit down with the vendor's solicitor, so the solicitor that you want to represent vendors, you need to explain that we have quite a lot of transactions. Sometimes we will use vendor finance. Have you come across that before? And you'll probably see them squirm in their seat because they probably have no idea what it means. And they might, you know, mumble some kind of answer because they want to appear really knowledgeable and they want to appear like the, the the expert and here's the thing you don't want to be the alpha male and and put them down but you have to reassure them that you know what you're doing and you have to be talking to a partner 
it is pointless trying to do this with someone who's going to have to check it all with a partner. And, and I can get to the point where I've got a really good vendor solicitor board ready to represent vendors inside about an hour. But it takes that long to build rapport. Don't be mistaken, you are selling. You are selling yourself as a knowledgeable, sophisticated investor. And you're selling yourself that you know what you're doing and that you're going to pass them significant amounts of business. Because otherwise, why are they bothering talking to you? Why are they bothering with the whole conversation when they can just do loads of vanilla, simple transactions all day long anyway? And so I start with vendor finance and you might have to explain what vendor finance is. It's where the vendor provides the funds and it's basically the mortgage lender. However, they nominally provide the funds. So they no, no money actually transfers and they take a charge on the property. They get a first charge on the property. Would you be comfortable representing the vendor in that instance? This is where you need to like read between the lines and study their body language and study their facial expressions because you only want to work with someone who wants to work with you. You need them to understand what you're saying. So they have to be sharp enough to understand what, what you're saying. That, that's really important. And secondly, you're kind of testing them to see if they're asking how to do it. So it's okay if they talk about SRA regulation. That's good. That's good. That means they're, they're, they're wanting to do proper things properly. It's okay if they talk about protecting the vendor's best interest. Yes, that is their job. That's, that's a good sign that, that they understand the priorities. But you also need them to be saying, so how can I do what you're asking within the rules? How do I, what would I need? And, and this is where I ask, you know, would you require any additional paperwork? Would this be on your standard paperwork? You know, what challenges do you foresee with, with doing this? Um, and then I'd ask permission to do another transaction and I might talk about turning discounts into cash flow. So using that example I used earlier. So if I've negotiated a, an £80,000 purchase from a from a vendor, I've purchased an option to buy the property at 80000 In fact, here's a copy of my option agreement and irrevocable instruction. If that's signed by the vendor and you're representing the vendor and I bring a purchaser to the table for £120,000, are you comfortable with me, with paying me the £40,000 minus your fees? And again, you watch their face, you see how they respond. And if they go, yeah, I'm okay with that, that's, that's no different to paying a mortgage lender or that's no different to paying an estate agent. And sometimes they might, if they really understand it, they might go, cool, I like I like your business model, Frank, because, you know, it's a good business model, uh, very lucrative. So really, Frank, you're a very highly paid estate agent. And I go, yeah, yeah, I am. And let me explain how I earn my money. You know, I, I offer the vendors certainty. I offer them a very swift purchase. I will move heaven and earth for them. Sometimes I'll empty their house for them, do a house clearance. Sometimes I'll pay their mortgage whilst they're going through the transaction. Sometimes I'll give them money up front if they're struggling, etc., etc. So I'll do a lot of things that most vendors, uh, most purchasers or most estate agents wouldn't. Sometimes I'll even do works to the property prior to the transaction going through in order to raise the value on the property, etc. So you want the vendor solicitor, this new solicitor that you've not worked with, to be really um, positive in this meeting, hungry for your business. And if you're getting anything other than that from them, then that's where I would be very cautious. And I'd, I'd be thinking, hmm, 
we're because what you can't afford is to have what i had yesterday and the day before where you're trying to solve problems and explain to the conveyances that they can do things or work out with the conveyances how to do things in the transaction because a that takes loads of time and b at this point you have already introduced the vendor i always introduce the solicitor to the vendor 19 times out of 20 i'd say rather than always so probably about 95 percent of the time i would introduce a solicitor to the vendor and if the conveyancer or the solicitor then during the transaction can't do what you need to need to do in order to help the vendor so if they can't do what the transaction requires now you're in a really awkward position because you've recommended this solicitor to the vendor so now if you say oh actually that solicitor can't do it i need to you need to move to another solicitor it just erodes the trust it's like oh i thought you knew what you were doing frank i thought you knew you know i thought you did this all the time i thought i was in safe hands now i'm worried now i'm worried that actually i'm not in safe hands you don't know what you're doing why is this solicitor not happy to do it is the next solicitor going to be you know doing something naughty it, it opens a whole can of worms understandably so it's really important not to find yourself in the situation i was in last week once you've done all that what i then usually do is is ask to see their standard sign up paperwork so i ask them to run off a sign up pack and what I like to do is I like to get their permission to sign the vendors up when I'm with the vendors. So I like to make this as easy as possible. And I explain that. I say, look, we're trying to get these transactions through in 28 days. So from instruction to completion in 28 days, sometimes a bit quicker if it's possible. How many transactions in the last year have you got through in 28 days? And it will probably be none, highly likely to be no transactions, and that's okay. But then you need to ask, you know, if we're happy to take search indemnity or not do searches, if we're doing vendor finance rather than external finance or it's a cash purchase, are you comfortable with doing transactions in seven to 14 days and again gauge their reaction because there should be no reason why it can't be that quick unless they just take their sweet time about everything and so once you're looking at their standard sign up paperwork so their engagement letter and and the fixtures and fittings form and the um, client information form etc what I say to them is well in order to speed this up when I'm sat with a vendor are you comfortable with me filling all of this in and then the vendor posting it to you so like kind of shortcutting you posting it all out to them and again you watch their reaction but if they're good they'll say yeah I'm happy with that and so what I then say is well what I'll do then is when I sign up a vendor I'll scan all the paperwork that day and email it to you so you can open a file and I'll stick it in the post special delivery so you'll have it the next day the the hard copies what will you then need to do because you'll need to communicate directly with your client because at this point they're getting really nervous that they're not going to meet their client and that there might be some fraud going on or there might be some coercion of their their the, the vendor so by bringing that to the fore you are relaxing the solicitor about the fact that you understand that the vendor is their client you understand that they need direct communication with their client and what they'll normally do is they'll normally say something like yeah what we'll do is we'll send out 
our instruction paperwork so a letter from us for the client to sign to say yes they want to be instructed and they'll send that to the vendor's correspondence address so they'll feel really good that they've sent that and they will then enclose a copy of all the forms that the solicitor has signed uh, that the vendor has signed and just in their instruction letter say please sign here just to confirm that all these forms are have, have been filled in by you and and those these are your signatures because the forms have come from me so they just need to you know round it off and make sure that there's no no funny business really so that is really all you need to do with a new solicitor you need to if they say yes to all of that then you've got yourself a diamond so long as they then follow through with it all and they are responsive enough to work with and that is a big <laughs> a big but you know they they or a big and and that is a big and because if they can't do the basics, then it doesn't matter what they're willing to do. If they can't respond to a phone call and return an email, then then they're going to be hard to work with. And the vendors are going to be disappointed and frustrated. In terms of then working with the solicitors, and I see this a lot, you can't be slapdash and really slow and expect them to be on it. It's just, just human nature. Now, you should, it, the way people have reacted to that comment before is to say, well, hang on, I'm the client, I'm paying the money. I expect the same level of service, regardless of if I'm fast or slow in my communication. But they are humans and they will get really wound up if you send them, if you ask them to do something and they do it really quickly. And then they ask you to do something because it is a partnership. A conveyance is a series of communications. So they send something to you and you take two weeks on it. And then you finally do it, send it to them and ask for a response the same day. It just That is just going to wind them up. They're just going to get fed up because you, you're hypocritical. You've got double standards. And so, but also if you'd done what you needed to do, within 48 hours two weeks ago then they wouldn't be under the pressure to do it today because they'd have an extra 10 days and if they took 24 48 hours the whole transaction would be further ahead so that is probably the biggest thing that winds solicitors up and i've i've had solicitors on this podcast before and they've said that and then the, the other thing that erode your relationship with the solicitor faster than anything else is asking them to do something that they're not allowed to and I see investors do this all the time without realizing it. But you have to learn the rules. You have to, and, and if you need to, go read a, a conveyancing book. But you have to recognize that they have a client. They can only take instructions from their client. So if that's the vendor, then they can only take instructions from the vendor. They have to always work in, the, in their client's best interests. Always. If they are investigated by the law society or the sra they have to be able to show their file and demonstrate that they have always worked in the client's best interest not yours doesn't matter if you've as soon as you introduce someone to them they couldn't care less about you now if you're on the other side of the transaction if you're the purchaser and the vendor is being represented by them they can't talk to you so communicating with the vendor solicitor if you're the purchaser is a big no-no you can only communicate with the vendor solicitor 
if someone else is the purchaser and that's really important to, to recognize because if you're asking them to engage in communication with you then that's going to make them feel very very awkward because it goes against all their training and if you do that if you can recognize and respect their code of ethics and the way that they work if you can start talking their language and it, it may be that yesterday solicitor I don't have time to do this but it may be that yesterday solicitor if I'd gone and met with the and I could probably do this in the future they're too far away to really make it worth my while there are plenty of other solicitors far closer where I could go and sit down with them but you could I, I could go and sit not with the conveyancer that I've been working with but with the partner above explain everything I've explained in this episode and if they reacted really positively and like said oh I understand it now Frank etc yeah I'm happy to do that we're rocking and rolling then then we can start working together and that how can we do this uh, attitude is really helpful. So I had a transaction recently where I was earning, I, I was receiving a, a, a quite a large chunk of money. I want to say it was about £70,000 and it was a solicitor in my power team and the solicitor said, look, uh, Frank, that's a lot of money, a lot of the vendor's money that we're uh, paying to you. It would be much better for us if you had a unilateral notice on the property if you had a UN1. Do you mind sorting that out? And I said, no, no problem at all. That's what we need to do. So I think it was 20 quid or 50 quid at Land Registry. We informed the we informed the vendor that we were putting this notice on the property because they'll get a letter from Land Registry letting them know. We explained that it was just something we needed to do for the solicitors, for the conveyancing. We um, put the UN1 on and that, enabled the solicitor then to pay us the money on completion that was larger than uh, the normal and it gave them the justification if they get investigated to say well look there was a UN1 on the property there was an option agreement in place we confirmed all this with the vendor and the vendor was happy it just protects them from a potential from potential litigation from the vendor later so if you can have that relationship that open relationship with your conveyancer if you can set the relationship up on that right foot from day one, then you're you're going to be in a really good position to get your deals over the line. And at the end of the day, if you haven't got solicitors that can do the deals for you, get them over the line, it doesn't matter how good a salesman you are. It doesn't matter how good you are at creating win-win solutions and negotiating those with vendors. You're, you're not going to be able to actually buy any property or make any money from property because you're not going to actually be able to complete your transactions because you haven't got the solicitors that can do that for you. And I have had solicitors cost me deals before now. I've been on the phone with a solicitor saying, this is gonna cost me tens of thousands of pounds. Please, can you do this? And they've not done it. <laughs> um, I can remember one in particular, I'm quite visual. I can remember where I was stood when I had that conversation. And I was like, please, can you do this? All along, you've said you can do this. And you are now saying that you can't, but too much water's gone under the bridge. I can't change conveyances now. Yeah, painful memory from that conversation. So there you have it, ladies and gents. A deep dive on interviewing solicitors. I think that's probably the the right way to uh, to to phrase it. Kicking off a relationship with solicitors, and then working with them on an ongoing basis i hope that's helped you i hope that's given you um some insight into how you can do this in your property investing um i guess my final thought would be always have more than one 
the worst number in business is one, one client, one team member. And so one solicitor is risky in case they get sick or they're too busy or they retire. And so I absolutely would recommend that you uh, have two solicitors that you can use and, and share the workload between them. It also helps you if you need different solicitors on different sides of a transaction. Guys, as ever, if you have any questions regarding... Uh, these episodes don't hesitate to get in touch i would love to hear from you until next time happy investing sophisticated property investing make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing now